everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Joining me is a man who is never a disappointment. It's Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. You should consult my wife before you make such claims, but good to see you. Good to hear from you today. Uh, you as well, my friend. And uh, the reason why I introduce you the way I have is because on today's show, we're going to be looking back at the Premier League in 2019-2020, which did happen. It's it's tough to remember. It's been a while. Was I've forgotten some things. Uh, that's why I enjoyed doing the research for this show, uh, because there have been some lists that have come out since the stoppage about the players that were having the strongest season, the best 11s of the season so far. Ryan and I... Uh, being Ryan and I, we're going to go negative. We're going to talk about some of the most disappointing uh, players and managers of the season so far. I think being British, Taylor, it's my default setting to be negative and to <laughs> err on the side of uh, disappointment. So this is this is my wheelhouse. Thank you for uh, steering us in this direction today. Of course. And this is done with an eye towards like maybe if the season returns, some of these people could turn it around. Maybe this is the break they needed to kind of get their head right, to get physically right, to, to spend some more time in England and get used to it. Uh, but more to the point, we're just talking about some of the players who we remember as having not maybe had the strongest seasons and uh, sort of going over maybe why that was the case. Maybe what needs to change or what could change. Uh, but, yeah. but Ryan, let's start with the... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, those players uh, who've been uh, uh, underwhelming in, the, in that part of the season, what they really needed was six weeks off of not playing <laughs> at all to get themselves back on track, right? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that should do it. That should do it. And, and especially some of these people who seem to not be as into living in England and thus like aren't enjoying their experience there. I'm assuming being forced to stay at home in England is probably not helping with the homesickness. Oh, well, I abandoned my country long ago, Taylor, so I can't I can't speak to uh, speak to that. But yeah, and a boy, I'm sure they're and a boy. All right, so we've each got uh, a starting eleven. We've got different formations, uh, mostly because it's the all star problem of like you try to play a four three three, but you end up having like you, like a, a left winger as your left back and a right winger as your center back. Uh, you got to be a little bit creative with some of this stuff. But Ryan, you've got a bit more standard of a formation than I do. Uh, but I think we both maybe have the same manager. So let's. Uh, start Start there. In terms of disappointing managers for the season, who have you got number one? I've actually gone for a combination mm, of managers, okay. Taylor, but they're from the same team. They are from 2019-20's most disappointing team. They are the Tottenham pairing of Maurizio Pochettino and Jose Mourinho. Yeah. Um, I think it's safe to say that Tottenham's season hasn't gone quite how they would have planned it. I think it's safe to say that Pochettino lost his team, lost the dressing room, long before the Champions League final Mm -hmm. last year. I think that's probably fair to say. And I think it's also fair to say that the general consensus is that Jose Mourinho wasn't the right appointment and not a great fit for Tottenham. And it just seemed like an odd direction for them to go in. And then you look at Mourinho's stats following on from Poch, uh, lost six six of the 17 league games they played under Mourinho, uh, went out of the cup to Norwich, pretty much embarrassed out of the Champions League by RB Leipzig. not, not very defensively strong, not not um, conveying the virtues that Mourinho would have done under previous teams. And we've got a, we've got a situation where Tottenham are ending the season. That Amazon, that Amazon documentary that uh, might be forthcoming now, Taylor, it's going to end with them furloughing staff and illegal park trading sessions. <laughs> That's the end of Tottenham's season. That's the legacy that Mourinho is giving them at the moment. So my coach is a combination of, uh, of Newcastle elect Pochettino 
and Mourinho. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair argument. I, I went with just Pochettino, uh, though Mourinho definitely maybe warrants some consideration as well. But for Pochettino, it's it's disappointing, not just because, like, oh, he just had a bad season, he got it all wrong. Some of the players on my list are players who just are having a really bad season. Some of them are disappointing for other reasons. And Pochettino mm-hmm. is one who we I thought, you know, like, there's going to be this massive bidding war over who gets uh, the rights to have him coach their team next. And now here we are with him unemployed. And it's because I think he has the falling out with the locker room. I think he doesn't get the reinforcements he wants, and I think there's already some sort of bad blood going back to even before the Champions League and then the time afterward when he was sort of like, okay, I'm going on vacation. I don't want to deal with this anymore because it's a long (laughs) season. Um, But I think... I fully expected him to turn it around and to be the one to kind of continue like uh, along the trajectory they've been on, and that it ends up kind of flaming out, and then Mourinho comes in, and as you correctly pointed out, like is playing a different style and wants to do a different system and doesn't really fit with what uh, Tottenham had been building towards. It now seems like a club that is in more disarray than it certainly was at the start of the season, or at least appeared to be at the start of the season, and have had disappointing results as a result. So for me, I think it is Pochettino, not necessarily all because like Pochettino was disappointing or something like that but because he hasn't had the strongest season obviously but then the situation surrounding him also not particularly ideal or at least Pochettino can fall back on all those trophies he won. Oh, oh wait. No. Um, well, as, as we speak, Taylor, the, sorry, that was cruel. As we speak, uh, the, the news is that Pochettino is being linked with the Newcastle mm-hmm. job, by the way. Uh, he is their number one target, which I find as a headline, I'm like, yeah, big whoop. Um, AFC Wimbledon's number one target is probably Neymar right now. doesn't mean we're going to get him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense, though, because if you have all the money and, uh, you know, the ownership group Newcastle are going to have, they're going to have all the money. Uh, that is probably the name that you could get that would maybe turn some heads. But uh, does he does he go to Newcastle? Does that is that where he wants to kind of try to reestablish? Uh, we don't know. But we do know that he will not be uh, at Tottenham. We know Jose Mourinho will be there. How do you think that plays out? Do you think that it's kind of more of the same and Jose sort of like freezes? some people out he brings some new people in and it's kind of the same system of maybe in a couple seasons we see him melt down or do you feel like there's a chance that he could be there longer term I don't think the leper changes his spots in terms of mm-hmm. the system he's going to play or the uh, approach he's going to take. I think Tottenham's fate probably depends largely on how the money is spent or if there's any money to spend indeed uh, to, to, to get in some players that Mourinho wants I mean it seems less likely given the unprecedented times that we're in, Taylor, that that's going to happen. Yeah, so I don't yeah. really know. You, you don't think we're going to get a full season in really quickly? <laughs> Not too much? To say. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. But uh, I, I, th- I, I actually would like Poch- to go to Pochettino. I'd like him to go to Newcastle. I think that could be really good because I still remember Newcastle as being that great team of the mid-90s who also nearly won the Premier League. And I've been to Newcastle several times, been to St. James's Park several times. It is by far the best stadium experience I've been to in my life. And I've been to, I'm lucky to have been to many stadiums and many big major games around the world, but Newcastle was very special. And those people, they haven't had a major trophy win since 1955. I'm not saying Poch is the man to deliver trophies, as we've established, but I feel like they, you know, uh, it's very controversial circumstances, obviously, mm-hmm. but I would like to see someone of uh, Pochettino's calibre up there and uh, to see, you know, to, to give those uh, fans in the Northeast something to uh, to latch onto, to be proud of. Yeah, I do think, like, like the we've talked about how I'm not particularly thrilled with the takeover. I don't uh, particularly love the ownership group. That no. that aside, if it is a similar situation to what Man City were, where basically it's tons of money coming in, they want to make splashes, they want to show their significance in the transfer market, 
the kind of weight they have, bringing in Poch and sort of giving him a blank checkbook to essentially do what he did at Tottenham, but he'll have the reinforcements to make it possible. You do see how that would be an alluring possibility, and you do see how he could have success if he's able to kind of have a deeper squad, replenish a bit, keep that rotation going, not have to play Harry Kane and Sung Hoon Min every single game and hope that it all works <laughs> out. To have a bit more depth, you could see how that would work. So maybe maybe if the season comes back, if the takeover happens, maybe that is the silver lining, is that Mauricio Pochettino gets another chance to be successful. But I'm not sure that's yeah. enough of a silver lining to have me rooting for Newcastle. But uh, for now, it does have me, including Mauricio Pochettino, in my most disappointing list. Ryan, let's go to the defense for a moment. Uh, you, I think, are going with the back four. Who have you got back there and why? Do you want to jump on the goalkeeper first, or do you want to oh, go yeah. straight to defence? Yeah, I guess, I guess we could do that too. Since we both have the same <laughs> goalkeeper, I think I skipped right over that one. We do. I was tempted to put uh, Jordan Pickford in as my goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Not had the greatest season. His stock has dropped a little bit. But as you say, we both have stumped for Mr. Chelsea, Mr. Kepper. Yes, um, yes. Whose stock has also fallen rather uh, a, a lot since his transfer to Chelsea. A little bit. Uh, which was, what, $72 million? What's that, about twice as much as Edison cost? If you look at it in those wow. terms, it's disappointing. If you look at it in the terms that he was dropped after, was it the Leicester match in February? He was dropped for a 38-year-old in uh, Willy Caballero. Um, he's made quite a few defensive errors. Uh, I think there's one in a Newcastle game I can remember being a bit poor and some saves he should have made but didn't. Uh, his save success rate, Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, was the worst in the Premier League uh, season, I think, up until January, the stat was. It was 56.2% at that point. I don't think that's changed since then. He's got a, quite a low pass success rate, which for a keeper of his caliber who does a lot of the passing, not great. So uh, Kepa, uh, a bit disappointing, and uh, I think Frank Lampard might feel the same way as us. So uh, our, our friend Adam Hurry wrote a book called Football Clichés, and it's just sort of a book that is just a list of the clichés that you can utilize when you're talking about soccer. I need mm-hmm. the secret footballer to write a version of that that explains a lot of the terminology and phrasing we hear about players who are sort of out of form. Because with Kepa, there are a lot of like red flag phrases that I don't know how to translate. A lot of like has failed to settle, hasn't enjoyed his time in England, like is is getting used to the the system, is getting used to the training, <laughs> hasn't yet adjusted to how we want to train. All of that feels very, very negative, but it doesn't say anything specifically. The biggest thing goes back to when Antonio Conte tried to substitute him and that was not happening. And yeah. the vibe I have gotten, I guess, is that he just, he kind of doesn't want to do what's being asked of him in training or isn't particularly flexible when it comes to tactics and style of training. Uh, and so I think that has led to Frank Lampard feeling like he's not really bought into the system. He doesn't really want to be here. So why should I keep playing him? It's why he benched him for Willie Caballero. So I think for the amount of money that they've spent with his youth, with what was expected of him, for it to now be in a situation where they could very well go back and test the market if the market uh, exists to try to find another million, million, million dollar goalkeeper. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a good sign that things have not gone the way they were supposed to. There's there's a theory here which I'm going to float to. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there a reason why some players don't settle it in certain places? Is it just because they're kind of not great people? <laughs> like I'm not, I don't want to cast aspersions on Kepper, but if he's been a bit of a, as we would say in English parlance, a numpty, mm-hmm. which we have seen uh, in that cup final where he refused to come off the field, and we may have seen it on some other occasions. Could it be that you know some people don't? Amalgamate because you know the Simpsons episode where Ho, uh, where Bart gets an elephant mm-hmm. and at the end they're just saying, "Well, why is that elephant bumping into each other?" It's like, "Well, some elef- some animals are just jackasses or something like that." 
<laughs> That's what you're saying? Some cat boys are just jackasses? I'm, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I don't know him personally. I mean, it, se- it seems as though living in England, even if you're living in London, can just be a massive change. I mean, obviously living in a different location is always going to be different. But I think yeah. for, for many people moving to England are not used to... Maybe like how like rural it can be at times, combined with how cold it can be. I don't. Know. I mean, because again, I would assume Kip is living in the heart of London and very much enjoying London, and that seems to be the case. That if you're a Manchester side or Newcastle or somebody like that, it's tougher to get players than it is, say, Fulham or Crystal Palace, because they get to live in London. So that Kepa is living in London, but still not very happy, still not very settled. It, it, it does maybe say that he's just kind of not meant to play in England or not quite meant for the situation as it is. But I, I think I could handle getting paid a lot of money to live in London. I think I could. And I, I will say the most of the Chelsea players live in and around or near the Cobham training ground, which is in leafy Surrey, which is just about the nicest place in England you could possibly live. So it's not as if he's living in a in an apartment and the, between uh, above a bowling alley and below another bowling alley. I mean, he could be. We we don't know. We don't know we his don't know. his living habits. We don't know his inclinations. Maybe he loves bowling. Maybe that's the major issue. He always wanted to be a professional bowler, not a professional goalkeeper. That makes sense. I've to slipped me. in. I've slipped in two Simpsons references already, and we're like ten <laughs> minutes in. Are you proud of me? I am, and I have faith in you to to slip in many, many more because we've only talked about the goalkeeper. Uh, now let's talk about the defense that I was so eager to discuss. I've got a back three, Ryan. You've got a back four, and it's a mm. familiar back four. Yes, we actually have one player that crosses over in both mm-hmm. our teams. Should we should we bring him up first? Sure. Center back John Stones. Mm. Uh, this is a player who we know has had an up and down time during his Manchester City career. Uh, you know, it's a basically Man City have had a problem area this season. It's the defense, mainly the center backs, and he's not helped, has he? John Stones um, at- in particular, no. John Stones is why I have him on my list because yeah. he's a player who you do expect like to have to have gelled to a bedded in to be able to execute exactly what Pep Guardiola wants, and instead it's been very much oh this is an important game where I have to have a center back that I trust. Is anybody else fit? Is or how can I play two center midfielders back there? Do I have to play John Stones? That seems yeah. to be the general sort of thought process of Pep Guardiola. Definitely. Yeah, he's had 12 Premier League appearances this season, John Stones, which for a £50 million, was he £50 million? Something like that. Mm-hmm. He cost a lot of money. Yep. You'd expect him to be playing a lot more than that. He's uh, There's been games where Otamendi's been picked over him on big occasions. Uh, Fernandinho dropping back, as we know, most of the time this season, which I, I've certainly expressed my opinions on how much I dislike that. Uh, I think the Man City kit man played a couple of games over John Stones <laughs> at this uh, for a couple of games. Uh, like Zinchenko's had 11 appearances and John Stones has had 12. So that kind of gives you an idea of his his, his ranking within that defense, obviously different positions, but you get the point there. And it's he's had injury issues, granted, but it seems more it's confidence issues, and it seems more that he's not quite the player that Man City need him to be. Sadly, sadly, I'd say. I, th- I feel like Pep Guardiola has players that like he just he needs to know like what your what your load bearing capability is. That if like if Pep Guardiola is putting up a shelf in his house, as long as that shelf can ha- hold a certain amount of weight, it feels like he knows okay it can handle that responsibility. I'm going to move on to the next thing. And with John Stones, it feels like he kept trying to put on different weights and different things, and the shelf kept falling over. And eventually, he just sort of lost patience with it, and I don't know, installed a new one or something like that. But it- now now you've got me picturing Pep Guardiola. 
Ariola in his home with a whiteboard, drawing out where the shelf is going to go, and huddling his family around, like crouching on his haunches. Okay, guys, it's going to go on this wall, and we're going to. Yeah. Do you, do you that, think that's where I've got is to. he the type to be obsessed with the home decor, or is he the type to be like, I, I haven't eaten in two days because I forget to eat because I'm so busy focused on football? Like, I feel like nothing else takes um, up that much energy as does football. Is he the type to be obsessed with insert anything? Yes. <laughs> well, uh, he has not been uh, as obsessed with John Stones. That much is clear. That's why we both had uh, John Stones in our defenses. Who was your other center back? Uh, I believe it's a center back. Who is it? A center back? Is that correct? That is correct. So I was going to go for Aston Villa's Bjorn Engels here because Villa have conceded more than any other 56 goals and I don't think Tyrone Mings is the weak spot necessarily in that back line. Mm. Uh, he's sort of Engels has been a player, kind of not the speediest player, looked a bit shaky in a few games. Um, and I think he's, you know, the, the, the situation that Villa find themselves in, you know, a game in hand in the, in, in the relegation zone, but very much in the relegation zone. He has not helped that situation. But I've gone for another Man City player as my centre-back pairing. It's Fernandinho. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to say it. And I love Fernandinho. I think, he, well, as much as one can love Fernandinho, because I think he's been so important to Pep Guardiola's system at Manchester City in that defensive midfield role, in the let's cause lots of fouls and only just get some yellow cards and uh, and break up play. And the games where in the season before this and the season before that, it tended to be Man City would only suffer in the games where he wasn't playing. And... That was the pattern that happened. And this season, where he's been playing out of position, Man City have suffered quite a bit. Mm. The point is here, I don't, I'm not dis- disappointed in Fernandinho in particular. I'm disappointed that he's not being used in his best position. I'm disappointed that a 34-year-old is going in as a centre-back here uh, and not, not a better option. And he's gone from one of the best players in that squad to one of the most squandered, I would say. It's interesting because Daryl and I are doing the like historical cup competition where we're pitting different teams from different areas against each other. We were talking about that uh, first Barcelona team from 2009 to 2011, or the first one uh, under Pep Guardiola, uh, and just sort of how he has this inclination to use midfielders as his center back. That he did it with Yaya Torre, he did it with Sergio Busquets a little bit, he did it with Javier Mascherano especially, and I think... It's a preference for having a ball-playing, like kind of defensive-minded midfielder who you know can go back there and do a job. I think the difference is it can work when you've got the people around you executing. So again, you don't have that much weight on the shelf. I'm going back to the shelf analogy because I feel like it kind of worked last time. Uh, and this time, though, I think there are other deficiencies in the squad. There are other issues. There are other problems. And so it doesn't really allow... like things to be as strong around the makeshift center back, which then allows that center back to be a little bit better. If you've got an underperforming midfielder ahead of you and questions about your other defender and questions about who the other fullbacks are going to be, I think it can lead to some consternation, some lack of ability. And I think we've seen that this season that Fernandinho has at times looks very much like he isn't a center back because he's not a center back. So I get why you would include him on here, though, I, I get more why Pep Guardiola likes to do that, why he thinks this is a good idea, but I do think this season it has not maybe worked as well as it has in the past. Stick to the shelves, Pep, <laughs> that's all I can say. All right, so you've got John Stone's uh, Fernandinho. Uh, yep. Do you want me to get into mine at all, or should we finish out your uh, back four? Why don't we just finish sure. out my back four? Because you may notice, say, that there is a theme in my back four, which will become apparent very shortly. Now, what's the etiquette here? Is it left back or right back next? Uh, I think I usually go right back, but you can do whatever you wish. 
Right back it is, and it's a right back who can be a left back. It's João Cancelo of Manchester City, who has played 11 Premier League games, as many as Zinchenko. Um, Just a very baffling transfer. One of a few baffling transfers that Manchester City uh, did for this campaign. Was it 27 million plus Danilo? Which Danilo, which mm-hmm. makes him effectively the most expensive right back evs, um, and I suppose the intention was to give Kyle Walker a bit of competition at right back, and also to have the flexibility to fill in at, in the other fullback areas. Kyle Walker plays twice as many games as him. It hasn't really worked out that way. I just this is just a head scratcher. Why why is this player at Man City? He's, he's, he seems like he's on the one hand a bit too good to play the role he's playing. But on the other hand, I'm baffled why he's there in the first place, mm-hmm. even though this is an elite team. Does that make sense? I mean, at least he's still playing there, at least as opposed to your other fullback. <laughs> That's true. My other full. Let's jump to that then, shall mm-hmm. we? At left back, I've got Angelino. Yeah, you do. So just to re- just to review that back line: Joao Cancelo, John Stones, Fernandinho, Angelino. So, There's a little bit of a theme. Yeah. There. So Man City. <laughs> Manchester City back line I've gone there, which it sort of uh, encompasses my disappointment a little bit. Um, and Angelino, just another kind of a pointless signing. And, you know, Man City don't have a great depth at left back. They've got Zinchenko. They've got Mendy when he's fit. Cancelo can play over there. Laporte can be pushed over there. But it just seems like they could have signed a really solid left back and someone who could cover for Mendy. And, you know, Zinchenko does a good job. He does a different job to Mendy. But I just feel like Angelino... To bringing him back and then loading him out to RB Leipzig after a few appearances, mm-hmm. it's just like it just seems like the strategy, the, the transfer strategy wasn't quite there for Man City this season, and they paid for it quite dearly. It, it does remind me of when I've played FIFA like a little bit too late, a little bit too long, and I'm just like, sure, I need another defender, and then I sign that player, and then the next day I'm like, why did I do that? Like what? Why? <laughs> like it's like a 4 a.m. Like I'm bored of my squad. Let's make something happen. That's when you're supposed to turn the game off as opposed to signing a new player. And yet you're absolutely right though that like Angelino's a player who they had in the squad, they let go. Then when he when there was like an opportunity to uh, execute the buyback, they're like, "Yep, let's make that happen. Let's bring him back. Let's play him in a couple games. Let's not really give him consistent runs, uh, consistent time on the field. All right, let's loan him to RB Leipzig." Like it, it, it does feel a little bit like a sort of haphazard approach to who they're signing and who's going to play and how they're going to play and where. It's the uh, spaghetti throwing at the wall technique I think they use for the uh, for the transfer strategy for this season for sure. <laughs> it, it, and it's once again it's indicative of the, the thing that Guardiola's done wrong here he loves signing fullbacks mm-hmm. he loves fullbacks so much when they could have done with a bit more cover at centre-back Vincent Company was not there anymore mm-hmm. and you know they get an injury and the whole season goes to pot because of that so I'm just I'm just I'm not mad I'm just disappointed which suits the theme here uh, all right well I, I'm not bad but I am disappointed about my uh, back three uh, one of whom we've already talked about it's John Stones and I'll just yep. add that John Stones is, is that player who I remember looking at Man City jealously as a Man United fan and thinking like I want to have this reliable English center back that we we like trust and is going to play for England for a long time and seems like they're going to be very very successful uh, and then Man United sent Harry Maguire and I was like oh, okay we've got one and now it's it's weird that you understand why Pep Guardiola wanted Harry Maguire, why that was a player that they were initially in for, because yeah. John Stones has had such a downturn in form, and then that kind of brings about the relative weakness of the rest of their defense. But I think, yeah, John Stones for sort of exposing the lack of depth at Man City, but then also failing to cover himself in much glory. And I feel like most games we would watch... 
there would be a John Stones questionable pass or questionable tackle or why did he need to make that challenge then? I feel like every single game there was at least one moment where you could understand why Pep Guardiola just didn't have that that shelf-level faith that we all know he needed. Uh, <laughs> then I'm going to uh, go in a similar direction to you. I'm going to have a player who no longer plays in the Premier League. It would be Jesus Vallejo, uh, signed by Wolves from Real Madrid on a season-long loan at the age of 22. He's now 23 years old and playing for, I believe, Granada on loan uh, because he was sent back to Madrid in January. Uh, he's a player who I think maybe people thought was going to come in, uh, potentially be a like loan with a permanent transfer if things went well because it's this young center back coming from Madrid. You expect him to bet in and be very successful. Instead, he gets the one Premier League game, a 5-2 loss uh, to Chelsea in which he plays the entirety of the match. After that, it's basically just Carabao Cup games and then he's sent back home in January. Uh, and I think for the promise like he had with him, the kind of name recognition he had moving to Wolves, a team that have been very successful in the transfer market, at least very much lately, for him to sort of show up, not make an impact, and for Nuno to not... Like, Nuno's another one that I think of in the pep model of, like, he, they're going to sign this player, but they're going to develop them and change this, and they're going to go from being a left wing back to a left winger, and then it all kind of clicks and works. That Nuno sort of looked at Jesus Vallejo and said, now nah, you can go back. I think kind of tells me what I need to know and is the main reason why I have him uh, at my center center back position on this team. Yeah, and I like your Nuno style back three here. And I'll say that Vejo, easy for me to say, and Angelino are kind of similar because if you look at, if you go 10 years in the future and you look at their Wikipedia pages and you looked at their career progression through the clubs, you go, wow, they must have been amazing. But uh, <laughs> not so much. This guy's still on the books at Real Madrid. I will say in defense of Jesus here, he has got a tricky job trying to get in place of Connor Cody, right? In the middle yes. of that defense. Oh, I mean, I think that's, that, that was definitely the line that was touted when he was sent back to Madrid was there's these nine other center backs in front of him. I think they put that in the official press release of like, but he failed to make an impact or like couldn't get ahead of this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, and this person, like one of whom was like an academy player. So I think that tells you how far he had fallen. But yeah, it is the case that they had a a fairly strong, fairly cemented defense. Uh, But uh, still disappointing, I think, to me. And maybe that's a little bit of Daryl rubbing off that I have Jesus Vallejo on this list. Uh, My third center back is one who... Maybe it's harsh to say he's disappointed because in a lot of ways he sort of did what I expected, which means he met expectations. But I think that those expectations were slightly negative. (laughs) Explains why I have David Luiz as my third center back. Uh, And there were many Arsenal players who were eligible to be here. Uh, I do have two different players uh, in my squad. uh, More on the second one in a bit. But for now, Mm. David Luiz is in this one because uh, under Unai Emery, he's sort of asked to do a couple different things, but a lot of which should be familiar to him playing in the systems and the teams that he's already played in. And he still routinely had those moments of just like, David Luiz, why? Why are you creating drama? Again, to go with a FIFA (laughs) analogy, it's when you just lunge into a person and you're like, oh, that's going to be a red red card. Like, I was just bored. I shouldn't have done that. Like, he just has those moments. And you know those are going to happen every now and then. And so you should expect mm-hmm. it. But simultaneously, he's a professional footballer. Like, it's it's how we used to let, like, Paul Scholes off. We're like, oh, he just doesn't know how to tackle. It's like, no, he knows how to tackle. He just doesn't want to do it the right way. Like, you can't <laughs> let a person off because, like, oh, David Luiz is just being David Luiz, conceding a 94th-minute penalty when that did not need to happen. Uh, I think that he continued to do that under, under Unai Emery and then still gives Mikel Arteta headaches, still gave Freddie Unberg headaches when he was the interim manager there. 
it it seems really difficult to get the best out of Dava Luiz on a consistent basis, uh, regardless of the style or approach or the formation. He just has these moments, and maybe it's because those moments stand out that then you go looking for those moments, and so uh, a relatively innocuous play is going to be a thing that you remember more. But for me, pretty much every time I watched Arsenal, there was a moment of David Luiz doing something at some point in the game that led to an opportunity or led to a goal or led to a free kick or led to a card that just had me thinking, like, why aren't you better? So when that's the case, (laughs) I then include him on my list. There are Arsenal and David Lewis apologists who, mm-hmm. who will claim that he does a wonderful job. And he does in many ways do a wonderful job. But you're right, he is a risk taker. But doesn't that add to life's rich See, tapestry, it does. Taylor? It does. And also seems to be a decent fellow off the field from, from yeah. what I have seen. So I, I, he seems nice enough. And maybe that's what it is. I'm disappointed that he's he's not a better player who's also very nice. So then I can just enjoy everything instead. Because I do enjoy the, the hair, obviously. So he's got the hair. He's got the niceness off the field, it seems. But then the performances on the field have have him on my list. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with that inclusion. I think those are two strong, disappointing backlines. <laughs> Strongly disappointing. Uh, well, before we get to the rest of our disappointing team, we should talk about one thing which is never disappointing. That would be the Black Tux. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by the Black Tux. You can find your f- perfect fit without leaving home for free. They have an easy online ordering process. It brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. You just pick a style at theblacktux.com, request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit, but then you should commit because you're going to want that suit, you're going to want that tux, regardless of the event. Absolutely, and if you aren't sure your sizing or whatever you're looking for, don't worry about that. They've got a way to do that that helps avoid the old tape measure, the older, uh, this is how you measure a suit in prison. Oh, boy. With the, uh, with the find my fit option. <laughs> a friend's reference for you. I'm dropping all the 90s stuff today. Um, with the find, your fit, find my fit option, you answer some basic questions like height, weight, shoulder size, and the like. Then you see what options they have. Did you know, Taylor, they use 100% merino wool on their suits, 100% cotton, cotton for the shirts and real leather for the shoes. I, I love the, the role that are there. Uh, yes, very good quality, very good reference. It took me a minute to remember what you're referencing. Yes, uh, you don't want to be fit for your suit like that. That's not the ideal. Uh, instead, you yeah, you can use the uh, avoiding a tape measure system, uh, which works very, very well. They'll ship you your order two weeks before your event. You get to check it out one last time and make sure everything works perfectly. Uh, and if you want your wedding or special event to be remembered for the right reasons, you can Order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code, Ryan Bailey. Soccer! That's correct. Theblacktux.com. Use the code soccer for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Mm-hmm. For the moment, indeed. All right, we move to the midfield, Ryan. Uh, you have, I think you're going, what, just uh, straight up 442? I've got a 4-4-2, good old British 4-4-2 for me, Taylor. Um, The disappointing formation, should we call it? (laughs) What was the format? Did we say we go from the right to left here? Uh, Sure. Yeah, okay. Right midfield, Mm -hmm. Jay Adams of Southampton. Uh, big, big, big expectations when he was brought in from championship twenty-two uh, from the championship for Birmingham, I should say. uh, Twenty-two goals he got there uh, in in the previous season. and I think has he only scored for the under twenty threes this season? And he's kind of fallen out of favour. He's one of those players who didn't quite make the step up. I'd say, yeah. uh, so one of those natural goal scorers 
who just couldn't quite keep up with the demands of the Premier League. So the cliche goes. My copy of Football Clichés is in my nightstand. Adam Hurry, <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Um, it, it's a bit of a sad one because he's sort of one of those players you really wish would have done better. And I don't wish him to be in this disappointing team. But here we are. Do you, do you think it's... Is it... Uh situation in which like his style just isn't fitting is it just that the level is maybe just a little bit higher than than what he's prepared for do you have an idea why he's been disappointing I think it's both okay I think it could be a combination and a combination of Southampton's fortunes as well but either way something intangible could be involved too but it just hasn't clicked for him has it and I think it's been this is this is probably the saddest example of a player in this team he's he was the hardest one to put in here I think all right all right so you have uh Che Adams uh, as your right midfielder what about on the left on the left, I have gone for another former Man City player, Fabian Delph. On the left here, bit of a yeah. bit of a surprise signing. I thought, for, uh, uh, for... You, you mean in terms of uh, him being in the disappointing team or him uh, moving at all? <laughs> He's not. This is a, this is the anti chair Adams in the fact that I expected him to be in the disappointing team, but a surprise that you know he ended up at the club he ended up at. Um, injuries he's had some injury problems I suppose he's had some attitude problems I think didn't he start scrapping with fans on on Twitter or social media or on Instagram or something he's, he's he's basically not done himself very proud and one of a, a few sort of Everton players who haven't um, sort of shined as bright as they could have this season I would say uh, yeah I think you could have a lot of different Everton players on this list if you chose to yes <laughs> yeah he's my he's my Everton candidate for this team who's not he's not my only Everton candidate he's one of two um but uh, do, you, do you are you buying that one Fabian Delph on the left here yeah it, it's it's a strange one because he he moves from City and it, and it feels sort of like like that situation in which they're leaving a big team where they didn't get a lot of minutes but you think they're gonna move to a slightly smaller team in in the case Everton who uh, have a manager there who kind of knows what he wants at that time at least and so it made sense that like Marco Silva was gonna bring him in and make it fit and then it kind of all goes south and it's a move that mm. made a lot of sense for a number of different reasons that now in retrospect almost doesn't make sense as to why it didn't work but obviously Marco Silva didn't work so maybe that's a big part of it yeah, it was one of those signs where I thought, oh, that's that's really good. I'm going to get him in the fantasy team very quickly because that makes a lot of sense. But as you say, hasn't quite worked out. And I thought when you looked at the Man City documentary, Delph was in it quite a bit. And he seemed like one of those players that had a lot of command in the dressing room. He's sort of an authoritative voice in the dressing room, if you will. And I don't know if that's worked out at Everton, but it's not worked out on the field. Did you mean to make that Southern? In, what, what? When you said authoritative voice, I think you made voice into like authoritative voice. Like he, so, I said so. I said authoritative voice. It was a little far card like card, <laughs> and I liked it. Um, since you've gone your wide midfielders, I'll jump in as well. Yeah, because I have uh, a three four one two again. That's mostly about shoehorning people in, which is why I have Nicola Pepe as my like right wing back. He's mostly just going to be a right winger for this team. Uh, it's it's really like a three three one three, but that seemed way too pretentious. Uh, but I have Nicola Pepe uh, for reasons similar to why I had say Jesus Vallejo because it's a uh, it's an arse, or I guess I could have gone with David Luiz as well. You blend Jesus Vallejo and David Luiz, you've got Nicola Pepe because it's uh, an import who you expect to have success given what they've done previously and then the price tag also factors into that 72 million pounds is a lot of money for a winger and you expect that winger to then 
be this sort of next level performer that elevates the whole team, that scores the goals, that hits the ground running. Instead, that was very much the opposite under Unai Emery. Uh, Freddie Lundberg had to talk about this like every single time he was in front of the media. Uh, I think he had to talk to Nicola, uh, Nicola Pepe face-to-face. They had to have a sit-down about what was going wrong. It hasn't really improved or hadn't really improved under Mikel Arteta. Um, and he like really just seems like a player who's just out of form and maybe wasn't ready for the physicality of the Premier League, maybe wasn't ready for life in England, uh, maybe some combination of the two plus the instability at Arsenal this season. But you would have expected, uh, like sort of with Mikel Arteta coming in and, and the vibe he seemed to have brought with him, it, it did feel like, okay, he's going to turn him around and get things going, and suddenly they're going to have this incredibly potent attacking trident at times. And maybe that's part of it, is that they don't want to be an attacking trident, Lacazette, uh, Aubameyang, and Nicolas Pepe, and maybe it's tough to get all three of them working together and clicking. But there have been a number of underperforming players at Arsenal this season, so I had Nicolas Pepe uh, in there as well as David Luiz in, in that order, I would say. Pepe, number one, most disappointing at Arsenal. No qualms about that pick, Tay-Tay. I would say, though, mm-hmm. a bit like Barney's blog from How I Met Your Mother, it's gotten a lot better. He's gotten a lot better, True. I'd say. He, you know, uh, he, I would say maybe even the second, you know, one of the... He's not the biggest attacking threat. Maybe the second best attacking threat that Arsenal have had at mm-hmm. times. And, you know, good from good from uh, dead balls. And I, I'd say I, he, he made my team, too. A little spoiler mm-hmm. alert. He's in, the four, he's in a four position in my team as well. So I'd, I've got no qualms about the pick. But I would say... He's just taken a long, long time to acclimatize, longer than one would expect for a £72 million club record time. Yeah, and I think maybe it's because a lot of the press focused on like getting Lacazette and Aubameyang and why wasn't Emery able to get the best out of those two and what's Ateta going to do that you can sort of forget about Pepe and that's almost what happened is like uh, I read a couple different lists of like season reviews so far from a couple different teams and that was one where I was like oh right they spent how much like I had kind of forgotten how much money went into him similarly uh, I guess I could say about my my left midfielder where I feel like I'm going to hear about it uh, a lot of money spent on Christian Pulisic uh, in the January window last uh, last year uh, I do have him on my list, and this is much more of a personal one because Christian Pulisic has played a lot of games for Chelsea. He has gotten minutes. He has scored goals. It has not been uh, the way it has been for some other people on this list. It has not been this just kind of universally reviled, oh, this is not working sort of situation. But I think what I was hoping for from Pulisic, I came in with sort of cautious optimism that maybe it would take him a little bit of time, then he would hit the ground, like really find his form like sometime in October, and then we would just see him be this kind of like like very important, if not lights out midfielder for our, for Chelsea, obviously not for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, Daryl Daryl thought he was going to hit the ground running immediately. I think that was Daryl's perspective. Is like, no, he's had time. He's going to be ready for it. And we know now that there was some fatigue. There was some uh, getting used to what Chelsea were doing, getting used to what Frank Lampard wanted. Frank Lampard spoke pretty candidly about how there was just a couple little things that had limited his impact so far. But then he has the injury, the prolonged injury, I should say, where we keep thinking maybe he's going to be back it's one of those oh he'll be good in 30 minutes and then 30 minutes comes and it's another 30 minutes uh and so he still has a decent number of appearances for Chelsea this season but not nearly as many as I think I would have hoped for and not nearly as impactful or lengthy as I would have hoped for so I think just for those reasons I have Christian Pulisic on the disappointing list not to say that it's been this abomination it's been terrible it's not going to work but more so just that in terms of people who I've been a little disappointed by in terms of in the Premier League season, he has been one of them because it hasn't just been this next level performance that elevates his game entirely. 
There's the movie quote poster. Of all the players I've been disappointed with, he's <laughs> one of them. Um, I, 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 th- I think essentially you're disappointed that he just didn't start didn't yeah. have the come out swinging basically because he did you know there was these after his first few games or lack thereof there was this feeling that perhaps he was even like sixth or seventh in the pecking yeah. order Lampard came out and made a statement about him as well didn't he saying you know he's a very positive one albeit but not one that inspired confidence in his first team status mm-hmm. I, I, yeah I can see I can see where you're coming from with this one I get yeah. it uh, like I get and, it, and I and I firmly like I, I feel bad because I really like Christian Pulisic uh, both as a player and a person uh, and and so like I do expect him to to turn it around to be just fine but I think it's the injury and then yeah that sort of like is he behind William is he behind Pedro two players who might leave is he gonna be behind Callan Hudson Adoy when he's good to go if they bring in Jaden Sancho what does that mean mm-hmm. like I, I think it's just I didn't expect to still have sort of these concerns about Christian Pulisic at this point uh, that I do so maybe that's why he's in there as well but those are my wide midfielders you've got Shea Adams and Fabian Delph who have you got between those wide midfielders Ryan Bailey let me tell you, Tate. For a starters, I've got uh, an Aston Villa player. I didn't put Engels in here, but I put in Douglas Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's, we've seen that he can score a banger. He's he's good at that, but he's generally played as a holding midfielder and sometimes as more of an attacking midfielder. But he's just not got great passing skills, which I think for a player in the middle of the field is something you really need, Mm -hmm. and you need that player not to give up the ball as much as he does. And he's a player who, you know, I wrote about him for the Athletic a year or two ago in that he was sort of billed at Man City as the next Fernandinho, the the next sort of defensive midfielder, the next big thing in the middle of the field. And that hasn't quite panned out. He got loaned from uh, Man City to Man City Spanish, aka Girona, um, because he got denied the UK work permit. And you know, l- let me put it this way. On whoscored.com, um, under weaknesses, there's one thing, tackling, which for a player in his position concerns me. <laughs> so passing and tackling? Yeah, those those are things that you man in the middle of the field you'd like to <laughs> not have in the weakness column, I would argue. <laughs> passing, uh, passing, tackling, all around central midfield play, also one of his vulnerabilities. Let's go ahead and start <laughs> yeah. him and see what happens. <laughs> But he's one of those players, at the start of the season in my fantasy draft team, I signed him because I thought he's, he's going to be great and he's going to score goals. And he has scored, you know, a good goal. Well, I can remember one, at least. Uh, he's got a few more, I think. But yeah, not 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 what he should have been and maybe one of the reasons why uh, Villa are in the trouble they're in. All right. Uh, so you've got you've got Villa in a little bit of trouble. So you've got Douglas Luis in there. Uh, and yep. then we have both gone for uh, Ndombele. Ryan, why do you have Tangai uh, Ndombele in your team? Um, if it, I hadn't looked at his who scored, but I'm imagining fitness might be under his weakness <laughs> column because uh, it's been he's, he's shown talent at times, but there was it who was it against? Was it against Chelsea where he like played like an hour and there was that <laughs> clip of him sort of casually jogging to try and keep up with play and being left behind. This is a big signing yeah. for uh, for Tottenham, and and I'm alarmed to see that he's apparently wanted by Barcelona in a swap deal. We're looking at the rumors, which I'm kind of baffled by, yeah. but just a player who hasn't worked out, who hasn't inspired the confidence of his disappointing manager. Um, and I, I think a deserved member of this team, I would say. Uh, I, I pulled it up, Ryan. Uh, End of LA characteristics, his strengths are passing and dribbling. His weaknesses Ooh. are concentration. 
and we're not talking about the crossword puzzle here. We're talking about yeah, uh, his track of the ball. Style of play is gets fouled often, likes to dribble, likes to play short passes. Uh, aspects of that do not fit Jose Mourinho. That much is true, and this seems like a player that is not going to fit uh, with Jose Mourinho. Thus far, yeah. has not fit on a fi- football level, and maybe on a personal level. There have been much reports about the two of them clashing. Jose Mourinho coming out and making a couple different comments about Ndombele, and yeah, it's it's another player that I think for Tottenham who don't tend to want to spend a lot of money, who I think are very uh, hesitant with some of their investments, and I think are very loath to let go of their players until they know exactly what they're doing, to then have this player come in and not be as impactful as they would have liked and have the issues he has had and have the kind of focus concentration issues, the fitness issues as well, it's sort of a, a misstep that they can't really afford, and I think does partially explain why Tottenham have had the disappointing season they've had. Yeah, he's he's the soccer equivalent of if you guys out there are on Zoom calls and meetings with your office and someone and you're not concentrating and someone says, "Hey, uh, Dave, what do you think about that issue?" and you haven't listened, and you're like, "Oh, I've had a non-dumbbelly moment there." <laughs> yeah, w- what's your uh, what's your uh, etiquette in that moment? Are you like, "Well, let me let me hear your uh, your distillation of it again." Like, it, w- what would you go with in that moment if they throw to you be- and you don't know? Moby, oh, thanks for letting me know. I've got lots of notes on this. I'll start by saying, hang up the call. <laughs> so it makes it look like your, your connection dropped. My house drove through a tunnel. I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, so I had uh, Ndombele on my list as well, but I sort of had three midfielders for two spots. So maybe I'll leave him off mine because you had him on yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I also had... Um, I'll leave the Man United one off for now. I'll instead go to Danny Drinkwater because Danny Drinkwater is becoming yet another one of those cautionary tales, or maybe already is at this point. But he's <laughs> the next in like the uh, like is it Stephen Sidwell? I always forget if it's Steve, Steve Sidwell, Steve, Steve Sidwell, Sidwell yeah. Scott Sinclair, Daniel Sturridge, Wilfred Boney. Sort of. Oh, you're playing at a team. It seems like it's fitting. We're gonna like like you're gonna get a, a ton of money to go play for this other club where it doesn't seem like you're really gonna get any minutes. But I'm guessing you're getting a ton of money in your club never going to turn down the money they got. So you go there and it doesn't work. And then I thought, well, he's going to move. He's going to get a new opportunity. He'll move to a club where he'll be much more important. And then it will be fine. And instead, it's been kind of more of the same from Danny Drinkwater. Uh, and I think probably a lot of this is informed by my inability to get him getting uh, beaten up at a bar outside of out of my head. But that does factor into the equation as well. I've done a lot of equations, it seems, when it comes to this uh, eleven. But him having the off-field incidents he has and then moving from this linchpin at Leicester who was so important, who alongside N'Golo Conte looked like this just unbeatable unbeatable midfield pairing to now not really having any success, not really knowing what comes next, and is another reason why I think Villa have been underperforming. So I think for all those reasons, I have Danny Drinkwater as one of my most disappointing central midfielders this season. Yeah, Danny Drink driving is definitely a cautionary tale for the... uh... For the modern age, as you say, some problems off the field and two loan spells this season, neither of which he's had an impact at. So, yeah, a bit mm-hmm. of a sad one, isn't it? It is. So much potential. It is. Uh, and I would say the same goes for Paul Pogba in terms of lots of potential, but a bit of a sad one is how I have the description there. Uh, and unlike Drinkwater, unlike Ndombele, the Pogba one, again, is uh, maybe similar to Pulisic, a more personal, emotional one, but is also what I think of when I think of disappointing. Pogba... With like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, like now as the official permanent manager, has the full preseason. 
there was I have long felt that he was already out the door. I thought he was going to leave in the summer. I'm still surprised that he's there. I think part of that is maybe the injury issues, but it has felt like a season that could have been uh, or what could have been could have been Paul Pogba comes in, becomes this all important performer, becomes the captain, is one of the Gunnar Solskjaer's like most trusted lieutenants, and it all kind of clicks. The team hits their form, and we see this kind of peak Paul Pogba, who at his peak I think is one of the most unplayable players on the planet right now. Instead, mm-hmm. it's been a lot of injuries, very few moments. He comes in after a lengthy uh, spell out with injury and basically gets injured immediately and has to be subbed out again. I'm not blaming him for that. I'm not saying, well, that's a fitness issue or it's a lack of concentration or anything like that. It is just, by definition, a season that could have been very big, very successful for him and for that club that now has not been as successful and he has not been as successful, and it's led to a lot of off-field speculation about his lack of on-field performance. And I think that is, by definition, pretty depressing. Thank you for your input there, Graham Souness. Um, <laughs> is that a five-man midfield you've picked there? Uh, it is, because I've got my, my one ahead of them. But no, I've gone for, like, in terms of the 3-4, uh, I had Pulisic on the left, Pepe on the right, and then I'll go Drinkwater and Paul Pogba in the middle, since uh, you have Ndombele. Very good, mm-hmm. very good, very good. Should we uh, should we move to the front players? Let's do it. Uh, to my my sort of theoretically creative number ten. It's another Man United player. It's Jesse Lingard, uh, a player who, when I read some of the like like disappointing players so far, he didn't tend to be on those lists, and that does seem to be the nature of Jesse Lingard is to somehow avoid all of the negative scrutiny uh, or like it doesn't really linger. I think because he's so likable, because he is in everyone's mind still 21 years old, even though he's like 26 at this point. Uh, but he is a person who, similar to Paul Pogba, I thought could have a lot of success, could kind of know what, what Ole was going to ask for, had been coached by Ole at a, at a younger level. And so I thought maybe like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would be able to get the best out of him. And it hasn't really changed. Instead, he is still pretty wasteful on the ball, pretty slow on the ball, has not scored from open play in, I believe, 14 years. Uh, and <laughs> and is, is a person who went from, or, or is a player who went from, being this like like sort of oh he is the next level like give him a couple games next season it's always kind of wait till next year wait till next year that's when he's going to put together 34 games and sort of electrify and instead it's been injuries it's been him doing social media stuff and then it's been him signing with uh, Mino Raiola and everything that kind of comes with signing with Mino Raiola to the point where now it seems very likely that he leaves the team but for a, a Man United youth player to come through and the pride they take in playing young players from their academy and that he hasn't kind of turned on found that next level been one of their reliable performers this year is another reason why i think he's had a disappointing uh 2019-2020 campaign that's fair enough if you google jesse lingard's name right now uh there's that section that says people also ask with the questions the top one is is jesse lingard good <laughs> it's um, it's a thing it's a genuine thing because he'll score these like <laughs> bangers every now and then a friend of mine uh pavlos has been on the jesse lingard is bad train for like two and a half years now, maybe three years, and just every time he would do something good, it would still be not even just a, like, yeah, but he sucks. It's not that mentality, but just more of a, like, I still don't trust him. I still don't have faith in him to do that. And then you'd watch those games where, oh, he needed to just do, like, one little quick Cruyff turn, and he couldn't pull it off. And the lack of faith uh, explains maybe why that is the most Googled question that makes me very happy, <laughs> albeit very so, sad at the same time. So in your disappointing formation, mm-hmm. he's in the middle. Yep. Do you find him more disappointing in that position or wide? E- either one. Either on the right, in the middle. <laughs> uh, I think either one he, he uh, manages to be 
uh, a little bit of a bummer. But I'm going to put him central because w- that does really thrust him into a situation in which you need to get the best out of your number 10. You need him to be the link-up, creator, technical playmaker. I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Uh, and for this team, I really think he's probably not going to be able to do that. Oh, bless. Who have you got ahead of him, Tay-Tay? My two forwards... Uh, one is statistical. One is, again, personal. Uh, Joe Linton is my right forward. Mishi Bachwai is my left forward. Bachwai, I have no vested interest in aside from uh, I think he seems to be a lovely, lovely person. And the way he kind of goofs on himself on social media, uh, going back mm-hmm. to I think he... Uh, playing for Belgium in the World Cup, maybe it was, uh, hit a shot off the post and like hit himself. And then he kind of like hugged the post and he posted a goofy post about that. I said it's post a, a lot in there. Uh, but Mishibachwai is is a very likable player who uh, I enjoyed when he was at Dortmund. It felt like he was a player who could come in and be the sort of strong link-up, hold-up, uh, pass-and-move forward that Chelsea needed. And I think is is just basically lost out to Tammy Abraham and is dissimilar enough from Tammy Abraham that when he does get moments, his style is just a little bit different. It's maybe a little bit more this way instead of this way. And as a result, he doesn't click with that Chelsea attack the way Abraham does on occasion. And so it makes Batshuayi look that much worse. And there were games when it would you could see him be a second too early and a second too slow like in the next sequence. And it was just how out of sync he was with the rest of his team at a time when, because of the transfer embargo, Chelsea really like kind of needed these players who had never really gotten that moment, uh, who had been sort of Daniel Sturridge, uh, Scott Sinclair, like there but not getting those moments. Maybe this was Batshuayi's chance to sort of prove that he belonged, and instead it feels like Chelsea would reinforce this summer, and maybe he's another one who'll get another loan, another move, and uh, another opportunity to prove that he can uh, do well elsewhere. Hey, West Ham, but mm-hmm. you're always calling. That seems like a good... That feels um, really, really... It's like West Ham or Crystal Palace. I feel like one yeah, of those two. Oh, Crystal Palace is another great show. <laughs> I like your pick here, Tay-Tay. But if you were going to tell me you put a Chelsea forward in your disappointing mm-hmm. eleven, I would have thought it would be a very handsome Frenchman uh, rather than... Mr. Olivier? Um, yeah. I think he's been he's been sort of disappointing, but not from like a like oh he's getting a game here oh he just can't quite do it. It's more of like oh yeah. he's just not getting games. <laughs> like and when it's he does, true. it's not it's out of his hands. I yeah, suppose. it's and it really is. He's just such. It's just it's just so clear that like if you have like clever technical uh, like forward who can run in behind but can also link up play, and you have a couple of those. Olivier Giroud is not one of those really anymore. He's just much more physical, can hold the ball up really, really well, is going to battle for everything. But if you then have to put him in, it requires a change in everything else around him. And I think Mm. it's not really like I would still expect Olivier Giroud to go and and bang goals for somebody else where he can play in a bit more of the style he wants to play. But I think he's shown his versatility uh, for France. So maybe that's a thing that he could do. Maybe he does deserve an honorable mention here. I just think when I've seen Olivier Giroud come in, I think it's more explainable why he hasn't had success, uh, at least under Frank Lampard. Whereas with Batshuayi, it feels like that should have been a a kind of match made in heaven of underrated player who's finally going to get this opportunity and is going to kind of hit the world running, hit the ground running, hit, set the world alight, and instead hasn't really done that and will probably get another move. Giroud, I think I expected to get a move. Batshuayi, I did not. So that's why I have Batshuayi slightly ahead. 
Yeah, I think Giroud could also do the West Ham Palace route at this point. Also but, uh, that too. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, so who is the uh, Robin to your Batman? Jolinton. Uh, uh, oh, Jolinton. You know why he's here, Ryan. Yeah. One goal in 29 games uh, after uh, Newcastle, a, a formerly broke Newcastle, spent £40 million to bring him in for a club that do not like to invest lots of money, or formerly did not, to spend 30 however many million on Miguel Almiron and have him be relatively slow to find form, combined with uh, Joe Linton, uh, very slow to find the back of the net. Uh, I think you've you've got to put him at least on your bench uh, list when it comes to most disappointing players. But I think for Newcastle, a group of fans who have had much, much disappointment Spending this much money on this proven Bundesliga striker. Here we go. We're another team who are signing a Bundesliga player uh, and a Brazilian at that. Like, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to tick all the boxes. It had to have been extra disappointing when he did not then uh, return that kind of sentiment on the field. Yeah, I'm recalling several of our weekend review shows where mm-hmm. we spoke about Joe Linton and sort of moments where we were like, why didn't he bury that? What was he doing in that situation? Yeah. And I think there's been a few too many of those this season. And for, for all his credits <laughs> that he's brought to the team, he <laughs> is a striker who should be scoring the goals. He rem- it was like, do you remember in the beginning of like, like or in the early moments of uh, Talladega Nights where like Will Ferrell takes over from the driver who's like just gone to eat chicken mid-race? <laughs> like, Joe Linton, there would just be those moments where it's like, why wasn't he there? He should have scored that. Oh, he was just off on the sideline chatting. Like, oh, he just wasn't there. Like, there were just these random moments of, like, almost comedy level. Why didn't Joe Linton do that? Oh, he was just inexplicably in the wrong spot. Oh, he inexplicably chose to pass in front of an open net. I don't really know what he's doing. Uh, but maybe Ricky Bobby will come in and find success. We'll see. Well, Joe Linton has very much not been shaken and baking this season. <laughs> and I will, uh, shall, I, shall I move on to my front line? I mean, with that sort of uh, witty lyrical repartee, yes, please do. Yay! So one of my, I've got a front two in my four four two. One of them is a player we've mentioned, Nicola Pepe, who, as I mentioned, I think has gotten a lot better, but four goals and six assists and generally not as effective as he should have been, yeah. a deserved place in this team. We can move on from that. So my final player... Moise Ken or mm-hmm. Keen, because I'm, surpr- I'm I'm confused by the surname pronunciation because when he was at Juventus, it was Ken, yep. and now it seems to be Keen. What are we going with? I believe it's Ken, but then I have pronounced it Ken and been corrected by other people. So it just feels like yeah. one of those, no matter what you do, it's a little Park Ji-sung, that no matter what the order is, no one is ever entirely <laughs> sure how it needs to be said. Well, let me read out the uh, stats for Moise Ken at Everton. One goal, two assists, one lockdown house party. That's all yep. we got. I was wondering if that if that factored into your considerations at all. It does. It does. It, 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 this, this, some of my picks have been for reasons of character, mm-hmm. which is why I think I went for Kepper as well. And Moise Ken, I don't think, has uh, shown himself to be... Uh, put himself in a positive light, shall we say, particularly with that incident in recent weeks. And... And and weirdly, like you tend to hear about this stuff when it's like like Kyle Walker, who's this like the linchpin pivotal performer for Man City, and then he makes this sort of uh, very boneheaded mistake uh, at a time when everyone else is supposed to be in lockdown, mm. and it's like oh like Kyle Walker, like you're this regular starter, and really. It feels more like like if you are a player who's having a, not a lot of success, is struggling, that then like in the biopic movie is when you make the poor decision that leads to the pivotal moment of like, I've got to change my life around. Maybe that's what this is for Moise Ken, who has not had a strong season, did not score the goals. It's a similar story to Joe Linton, except Joe Linton didn't have a raucous house party that has now thrown his uh, medium term <laughs> future into doubt. Yikes. And by the way, the Kyle Walker incident of lockdown, having his uh, friends come over, mm-hmm. shall we say. 
That seems to me like it was years ago. It was three weeks ago. Yeah, it really does. And I should say, yeah, Kyle <laughs> Walker was having people over. I think Moise Ken was just uh, attending a party, but it's still at a time when you're this public face. There's a lot of pressure on you to, you know, be ready to go, obviously, when the season, if and when the season resumes, but also to sort of act the right way to be the role model for people, to model the behavior, uh, to then be at a, at a party at a time when he is decidedly not supposed to be out, uh, doesn't really maybe instill a lot of faith in the, uh, I, the Merseyside faithful. Yeah, and I'll say that compounds the reason why he's in a disappointing 11, because behavior like that is a reason why I think the, re- the potential mm-hmm. restart to the Premier League is in jeopardy, because all it takes, if, yep. we, if we get the, everything in place, we do all the testing, and we get the players back up to fitness, all it takes is for one player to get uh, to test positive uh, and and it all the house of cards falls down again and Moise Ken and players like Carl Walker and there may be other Jack Grealish as well are showing that not all players are going to stick to the rules mm-hmm. and that's what concerns yeah and, and I think and I think as I, as I said before like disappointing can be whatever you want disappointing to be for whatever reason and I think yeah like like when you're when you're looking at it as we would all like like football to come back we enjoy having soccer to watch on the weekends so that feeling of like like I know you it, it it's it's maybe I'm being harsh but it's like the Florida beach is still being open and it's like well that's gonna stop us from coming out of our houses because if people are still spreading it's still traveling like it's yeah. it, it is that feeling of like come on man like stay in your house a couple more weeks and maybe the Premier League comes back I'm not trying to put all that pressure on Moise Ken but he's a player who is an important figure for his team and for that community in Everton, not Liverpool. Liverpool don't care about him. But in Everton and the Everton fans, the blue part of Liverpool. Um, yeah, Moise Ken is the person talking in the cinema. He's the person double-dipping the chips at the party. Yeah. He's ruining it for everyone mm-hmm. else. Yeah, so I, I understand why you have him. And then even removing that element from a pure footballing standpoint, uh, another one who I think it felt like, oh, he's leaving Italy, there's been all the incidents of racism, there's been a lack of inclusion, so maybe this is him needing a fresh start in a new environment. Carlo Ancelotti comes in and it feels like, oh, okay, now he's working with this man who knows how to get the best out of these big talents without really making them change their entire game, change their entire way of playing, and yet that still hasn't had the impact. And then uh, for him to sort of uh, shirk lockdown responsibilities, I think certainly doesn't help with me feeling not disappointed. Oh boy. It doesn't help with me not being so it makes me disappointed. Yes, haha, negatives. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> well, that's a that's a very disappointing into our disappointing eleven, I'd say. Too. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do like our favorite eleven, maybe next week or something like that. We we tend to kind of bounce back and forth between slightly downer topic and then slightly more optimistic topics. So we I can think next week on the docket we've got uh, puppies, fireworks, and candy. There we go. Talk about. There we yeah. go. I think my wife always says my 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 brain is just uh, unicorns, uh, gummy bears, and rainbows. So yeah, I, I think that show fits in well as well. That's a great place to be. I like that. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of hopping, a lot of hopping in my brain, uh, but, which I should probably get diagnosed. Uh, but until I do that, Ryan, thank you very much for taking an hour of your life to talk about disappointing players uh, and disappointing managers. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the overlap, and I enjoyed all of the reasoning behind it, even if it was a slightly downer of a topic. It was very undisappointing on my part, Taylor. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore.